Today, we're talking talent acquisition and marketing strategy and how you can use it to add value to your business and your audience. I've got Ben Phillips with me today, and Ben has been dropping some nuggets on LinkedIn recently, particularly around his big piece of work, which is talent acquisition and marketing strategy, which is basically an overall summary of of looking at all the key points in talent acquisition and marketing strategy. So just had to get Ben onto the pod. How you doing, Ben? Very well, thanks, Chris. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, thanks for joining. But it's good to take a bit of a step back, I think, sometimes, isn't it? So let's start off thank with you. just a bit of an intro about yourself. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, and then we'll get started. Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, in a nutshell, my career has spanned communication, um, culture, and coaching. So communication in terms of marketing to different audiences. Um, I started off in recruitment. I then went into marketing, marketing for a few years, back into recruitment marketing. Uh, But along the journey, I've also been very fortunate to spend time in leadership development, L&D and culture transformation. Mm. Um, So that the kind of there's the coaching piece. Um, And the threads throughout all of that have always been kind of digital slash social media and content and how you use that to connect with an audience to help them in one way or another. Yeah, lovely. Nice. Well, I love I love the fact you've got that culture element spliced in with all mixed together with with that marketing and branding experience as well. Um, I think that in particular... Yes, it's it's proven to... very beneficial for me. Well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk about that a bit, actually. So, you know, see, you know, whole thing around talent marketing, employer branding, you know, Often it's seen as being an external thing. And yes, it's good to have great content and great creative and great messaging. It's actually going to you know, sell something to its you know, utmost ability. But that culture mix, for you, kind of what has that done for you? What, what does that mean in the context of employer branding and talent marketing? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Just picking up on the words you just used there, Chris, you, you, you mentioned the word sell, mm. uh, which is often the what you associate the terms branding and marketing with. It's to sell something. Yeah. And I think that what, what differentiates talent marketing and employer branding is not about selling. It's about revealing your true and authentic self. In theory, in reality, that doesn't always happen because you only see the kind of the, the unicorns and candy floss on the social channels about a company culture. You never see the underbelly of, of you know, the, the less positive sides, but the realistic sides. So that's what culture's done for me. It's I'm on this. I'm if if I could have my way, I'd be on this path to. It starts with culture because that's what we are. That's all we do. We are telling the stories of our culture, so people can assess whether or not they're compatible to thrive within that environment. Um, and those that do that very well, I think, succeed and have very good results in in their marketing and branding efforts. And those that start with the marketing and branding piece first and sell people a career destination or false pretenses, they then go on to suffer with high turnover, attrition, and poor morale because people turn up expecting culture environment A. They realize it's environment Z and they go, you've lied to me, I'm off. 
So yeah. that, in a in a nutshell, is how culture drives everything I try to do. Um, it's it's, it's the, a massive it's the foundation for everything, I think, in talent marketing. It's a massive upheaval, isn't it? If if you do get the wrong person in, you know, not only do you have to take several steps back and do it all over again, but you know, you're actually impacting the individual also, you know, and absolutely. Also, and absolutely. And you're you could be doing damage to, you know, to the business as well if you haven't got the right match. So it's um yeah, there's so many, so many implications. Sorry, I Shout out to um, Max Hunter. I met Max at the Empool Employer Branding Festival in Belgrade um, last year, and he's got the title of Chief Joy Officer, which is um, quite the title. But he was on actually on the stage. Joy Division. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can just hear the tunes like playing. Come on. I'm showing my age now, but yeah, no, classic, <laughs> absolutely classic. But he's um, he was like, I met him the the evening before because we we're staying in the same same hotel because we we're both speaking at the, at the event and he was like going i'm not really employer branding but i'm an employer branding conference you know he's involved in in heavily in culture and leadership and if you don't get that right you haven't got a truthful employer brand and he had on this on stage in big letters um if it's a shit place to work your employer brand is is a lie employee branding is a lie that that's exactly at the heart of it that's why i'm so fortunate um i think in my career to have had that exposure and had that experience and that's why i think it's so crucial that employer branding teams or talent marketing teams they are i think an element of the connective tissue between many functions um, whether it be marketing, because in some cases your employer brand will be dictated heavily by your consumer brand and mm-hmm. the consumer experience. If I am a customer and I have a really crappy experience, I'm not going to want to work for you. Yeah. Uh, similarly, if I'm an employee and I'm treated badly, then I'll never buy from you again. Mm. Um, and then if your talent marketing and your brand is a reflection of your cultural realities, then you absolutely have to speak and engage and work with the people who look after your culture and what drives culture, your leadership development, because leadership skills are a huge factor into what your culture is. It's the behaviors that leaders will accept or or not um, in, in the workplace or an organization. So that it, it, I think it has its tentacles and should have its tentacles in lots of different areas just to make sure that whatever they're communicating to the outside world is true to the business because if you look at the whole candidate experience from um, the what they see on social to applying for a role and what that experience is like, so you've got to be connected to the digital team, to the interview process, you've got to be connected to the recruitment team, to the onboarding process, if that's a separate team who looks after that mm-hmm. throughout their tenure. What development do they get? What, why do people stay? Do they have mentorship programs? Do they have the reward and recognition that you know motivates them to want to stay? So yeah. it, it encompasses and envelops all of that. Um, it's not just a silo. We're going to put some pretty pictures on LinkedIn and our job is done. And I think that's where it falls down because people either in the industry have that perception or the people they support have that perception, which is where they kind of run into problems because they yeah. say... They say, oh, we need talent marketing because it's good. I see, if you Google talent marketing employer branding on 
on, on Google. Um, it comes back with it is it gives you a competitive advantage in that it helps you to attract and retain people in your organization. It doesn't help you retain people. Your culture helps you retain people. Your interventions that you have when people are in your company retain people. Marketing doesn't retain people. It attracts them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Oh, man. I knew there was a reason once you get you on, you on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. you know, poke some hornet's nest. Sorry if I'm upsetting yeah, you. No, no, it's good. No, it really, I mean, it really, really is. I think, you know, the, the, the skill and the actually the exciting part of doing what we do is about just investigating those areas of the business, finding those people that let, allow you to really let that culture shine through without even having to drop a tagline somewhere or a headline somewhere. You know, it's literally by on having the right conversations with people and not just rat-a-tatting through a bunch of inter interview questions in a in a you know in a film studio, um, but actually having these conversations with people, you're gonna. I, I mean, I say it so much here, but you know, I, I don't care because it's, I truly believe in it. Is that if you if you talk to your employees, whether it's through audio or video or written art word, or actually through events um, and delivered in various different formats and platforms, if you ask the right questions with your employees, actually, you're going to get opinion because opinion is in part what is that makes them there at that business. And opinion is, is their experience manifested in, in what they believe in. Um, but also the, the advice mm -hmm. they can give to people, you know, and yes, the stories, I think there's a heavy reliance on stories a bit too much sometimes where the story is the story of the business. It's like, well, that's such a limiting factor. I was talking to pretty Sonny, um, about this quite a few episodes ago about empathy and, you know, stories, everybody's story contributes it, but it doesn't have to be well, this is my story at this organization for it to be valuable for the organization. I think it's that thing about tapping into culture and literally just trying to magnify that culture externally and also magnify it internally, I think is like, is what makes it like, I think one of the most exciting areas you can be in when it comes to communications, really. Mm. Well, it comes, it comes back to what we said at the top of this, communicating it. Absolutely. The culture isn't something I don't believe in a culture because you're communicating it to me. I believe in a culture because I feel it as an employer in that organization. So the communication just acts as a force multiplier, but you're not selling it to me as if I'm an employee in the organization. You're just telling me what I already know. And if I, and if it jars with what I'm feeling, then you're going to disengage me. Yeah. So again, it comes back to you're not selling it. You're just communicating it authentically. Or, sh or I, I would argue you should be. Totally, yeah, hundred percent. That kind of like we're getting into thinking about stuff out there. We've got, you've got Brian Adams has um, given get that covers off off that. There's a tonic have talked about truth. You know, there's all all sorts of you know talk around us. So I think more that happens, the better for sure. Let's let's go back to this piece of work you put together. Tell us a bit about that. Why? What it is yeah. and why you, why you produced it. Uh, because I'm sad I don't get out much and I was bored. No. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> well, that is partly true. But um, uh, why did I do it? Um, because 
I wanted to help people in the profession or in the industry who may be experiencing or either they're stepping up into a senior role or they're in a senior role or they've inherited an environment or a setup and they're not quite sure where to start. Mm. And I have um, a very logical sequential mind. Um, it operates quite compartmentalized and I know that the world doesn't work that way, but I, I wanted to produce something that I thought if I was in a situation where I've just in starting or inheriting this thing and I don't know what to do next, I couldn't find just a simple destination where I could find some of the key elements, not all of them. I even mentioned that I don't cover the whole end-to-end experience as others, other parts where I could dip in and, and dive in and dive out just to help me get started. It doesn't have all the answers, but it has the foundation. And in some cases, it gets a bit more sophisticated where you can jump in and go, that's it, light bulb, right, I'm, I'm off again. Um, yeah. And that's why I do it, to help people um, set it out, set a direction, help them with their strategies. Because um, I've been in s- situations where I, I didn't have something like that. And I've gone in and I've gone, shit, where do I start? Um, so if I had a tool or resource like that in one easy to find location, as opposed to going on Google, going on chat GPT, going on Bard, going on wherever, it's just in one location, come here if you need it, when you need it. Lovely. Look, it's a great sidekick. And yeah, I think what you intend to be is actually what it's become is, is this, this sidekick that can sit just a few clicks away or even printed out on the desk and, you know, someone can just like flip through it and, um. As you say, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, is a big piece of work. It doesn't cover, you know, everything, but then, you know, it's, it doesn't, doesn't have to, I think you've covered off, you know, key points for sure. And it's, it's not, as you say, it's a nice blueprint. And what I'll do is I'll put some, I'll put a link to it in the episode description. For yeah. Sure. Thank Come you. And, and the intention is, as I say, it, it's not, it's not everything, but if someone can take a light from its taper, and you know start their own thing then then fantastic yeah lovely okay so we've talked about culture we've talked about um your blueprint look this is all connected to this thing about how can the sector add value because it is very important and i think often especially times like now where budgets are tightening and decisions need to be made about restructuring organizations we've seen employer branding take a bit of a hit in terms of people, you know, losing those roles disappearing, basically. So the thing about value and what true kind of return is for all of these kind of efforts that we talk about, what's your, what's your view about it? As with anything, context is crucial when answering that question. Mm. Context and audience. So what's value for the C-suite may not be value for a junior talent marketer who's responsible for social media. Yeah. And I think that's where it sometimes falls down. Um, At a grand scale, we talk about ROI and I see people throwing up results like impressions and the vanity metrics, what I call tertiary metrics. They are needed. They are the foundation. They are a means to an end, but it's when they get confused as the end where it falls down. Mm. So I'll talk at a kind of a macro level, if we, and if we have time, kind of 
get more into the weeds at a lower level. So I, I, I've shared on, on kind of an offshoot of the material I've been publishing on LinkedIn, a piece around this. And I talk about the C-suite and they only really care about five things or so. <clears throat> are we making money? Mm. Are we driving down cost? Are we acquiring new customers if it's a commercial operation? Are we retaining existing one ones and expanding their their wallet share? And are we doing all this whilst mitigating risk? Mm. And there are certain things that, as talent marketers, employer branders, we can impact. Customers know because we're not that close to the consumer. But the one that stands out is the, can we reduce costs? Absolutely, we can reduce costs. And that's where I think we can play. And also do that whilst mitigating risk, not making the organization we represent, making them liable and everything. Mm. So if I'm in the C-suite and that's what I care about, and you're coming to me talking about ROI in terms of shares, reach, you disengage me because I, like, I don't care how much does it cost. Mm. Now, some people would say that's quite ruthless and that's quite brutal, but that's commercial operations. If you're a commercial business, you are here to make money. And everyone in that organization should be contributing to the driving of that revenue in a profitable way. Mm. An ROI, I think people confuse it with a media metric. It's not a media metric. It's a financial metric. And, you know, I, when, I, when, I, when I hear the term ROI, I see the calculation. Gain from investment, take away the cost of investment over the cost of investment. I didn't 10 years ago in my career. Um, but if you're in business and you're a business owner, that's how you see ROI. So that's why if you say to someone who's at that level, operating at that level, that I'm going to talk to you about ROI, and you come in and say, look how many likes we got, they're like, I thought this was an ROI conversation. What are you talking yeah. to me about? Yeah. However, if you then get down to the weeds of a junior operator who's you know, pushing the buttons and pulling the levers on the social media platforms, then... I think where it falls down is, and we can link it to that cost. They always, where it gets frustrating, and I judged the Rads this year, I was very fortunate, and it was a okay. fantastic experience. It's good fun. But where I got extremely frustrated is when people do, when people do their entries and then they have a slide dedicated to, we had this much reach and we had this many comments and we had this much conversation and da, 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 and I'm sitting there, there's the grumpy middle-aged man in the room going, so what? What impact did you have? How much did those impressions cost you? Great. You got a million impressions at what? Five pounds CPM? You got this many clicks. Fantastic. At two pounds CPC, cost per click, it's a two-sided coin. And I think whether it's because there, there's a lack of understanding or they believe that they can blind their clients with vanity metrics. And by the way, clients are getting more savvy to this now. So this is going to change. There's going to be even more pushback with this type of activity. Mm. Effectiveness is what you did with your content. Efficiency is how much it cost. Mm. Are you doing both? So can you keep doing the effectiveness with the improved efficiency? That is how I think as talent marketers and employee brands, we can show our commercial value to the C-suite. And I talk about it or I, in this kind of, parallel post article that I shared, people sat on CRMs with hundreds, thousands, sometimes millions of profiles in there. And you can do quite a basic financial model where you look at the stats, 
Average cost per hire, according to LinkedIn and Glassdoor in 2019, was $4,000. Admittedly, you can, depending on how senior the roles you advertise are, you multiply that by the people in your um, in your CRM. Are you engaging with those people through your talent marketing? Are you nurturing them? Are you communicating them, keeping them warm? In some companies, you then look at, well, you're looking at a um, for every 100 applications, you make four hires and you take that equation and then you mix it all together. And you can get a, a, a result at the end that said, if we double down our efforts on our CRM, going back to those five things I talked about earlier at the C-suite care about, are we engaging existing customers as opposed no. to acquiring new? That's the default thing. We need new. We need more people in the funnel. We need more. Like, no, you're sat on a gold mine of talent. Yeah nurture them convert them it's it's more efficient and then you can go back and say well instead of spending x hundreds of thousands on this campaign we spent half of the cost nurturing the people we already have because for large corporates quantity of applications isn't often the problem it's quality and they're often sat on the quality but the knee-jerk reaction is we need more people we need more people Mm. so if you can do that rudimentary financial model take it to the leadership who own the purse strings and say I think I can cut our costs by X. They're more likely to listen to you than say, I think I can expand our reach by Y. And yeah. that, I think, is where the commercial value conversation can, can be quite effective. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll um, drop in links to, to that article as well. Um, a link to that article, um, your kind of bonus article around that, definitely. Um, and um, Nick is... Uh, Nick Thompson's going to be at Wreckfest, isn't he? Because he was, I remember he did an episode with Matt. He is. Podcast about ROI. Really interesting. And he's going to be um, on stage sharing a bit more around this space, isn't he? Around this point. So I I won't steal Nick's thunder, um, but he just, he spoke about it on on Matt's podcast. If you you share a link to it, people can listen to it to get a kind of a preview of what he's going to go deeper into. But it's going back to that commercial element we kind of mentioned earlier. If you're in a commercial organization, then your MO is to drive profit, even for the owners, the shareholders, or the VC backers, however you're structured. Mm. So in that that vein, everyone in an organization should be contributing to the revenue. And if you're not, what are you doing in that organization? Mm. So Nick is going to talk about the potential impact to revenue that every employer has, how you can calculate it, and then if you can expedite when a successfully hired person applies, i.e. if they apply quicker, you can hire them faster, they can have a potential impact to your revenue quicker, then he's dissected that down to how much potential impact does somebody have to revenue per day. Mm. And then you can multiply if you improve your time to hire by X days, or your time to apply by Y days, and then multiply that by how many hires you're making, it gives you quite a robust financial figure to go back to the C-suite and get them on side and help them understand why what you're doing is adding so much value to their organization. Yeah, brilliant. Like, oh, I think it's it's kind of a still an emerging category, isn't it, really? I think based on what we talked about and based on what we've seen, and to be honest, done <laughs> over the years, over our careers, you know, I can certainly vouch for, you know, focusing sometimes more on marketing, you know, metrics. Um, but I've always known this thing about what mm. is true ROI. And of course, like over the last, 
well, since certainly since November, it's become mainstream conversation. You know, first mention of AI, and we're nearly nearly the end of a podcast episode, which is I think that's quite a result in this in this day and age. Um, but you know, we'll uh, talk do, about do you have another two hours, Chris? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but I think you know so much. <laughs> yeah, you know, so much to talk about AI. You know, is is centered around oh, well, a Chat GPT can can bash out some job description copy. But oh my God, that's just scratching the surface. You know, you talk about what Nick's Nick's going to be talking about. You talk about the stuff you've covered in this episode is that AI has the opportunity to actually connect and crunch that data in ways that mainstream has not been possible. That That is the biggest, one of the biggest values of AI is being able to actually connect that data and get proper insights and help us get more insights from that data. And hopefully, you know, there will be an absolute causation rather than correlation. Sometimes correlation has to be used, of course, but there'll be causation link between the activities that we do in terms of talent marketing, employer branding, and the success mm. of the business. I do think the thing around the marketing metrics still has a role to play, but I think that's, I going back to the context thing, it's about framing it in the right way. You know, I've often uh, talk about mm. marketing funnels, but actually, my view is should be flipped round, and it's a, it's a pyramid. You know, actually, you can't have anything else if you don't have the foundations of awareness and, in, and engagement, and then preference. Absolutely, then you touched on a very good point. And however you get the numbers, however you get the data, whether human or or AI, where it again falls down is how you report it. Um, so again, in that in that side post I created on this topic, I talk about audience based reporting and sometimes you might need to have three versions of a report one for the operators one for mid-management and then one for the c-suite and the operators they absolutely need to know the impressions the reach the clicks the dwells the scroll depth because they need to know how their content's performing Mm. The operators and the mid-managers want to know the cost of those clicks, the cost of those impressions. Is it better? Is it cheaper? Is it faster? The C-suite just wants to know generally, are we doing things better? Are we doing things faster? Are we doing things cheaper? Mm. And that is why AI will take over a lot of people's roles. Uh, Maybe the elements which are highly administrative or definitely, please do take that crap away from us. Thank you very much. But you might have an agency that can just triple its output with the same volume of people. It can expand its client roster yeah. without overloading and, and burn it, burning out the, the humans in the organization because it's got AI who's been able to extrapolate and expedite everything. Mm. That's where it gets quite exciting. Definitely. Uh, I'd say that's in itself an episode, but we will, we will hold off for there, I think, for now. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Sorry, you, you started it. You started it. So if someone's listening to this, watching this, what, what do you think they should do next to, to really start to take those steps closer to showing true ROI on the activities that they and, and their teams and partners are doing? Mm. Um, well, true ROI and or results, because... Again, you're talking to someone who 
I've mentioned earlier, has that calculation fly through his mind when anyone mentions ROI. It's a financial calculation. Yep. And sometimes you can't always connect everything to the bottom line. If we could, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. So practically what you can do is, I think it's, firstly, whoever is asking you to do something, be really clear and really aligned on what the goal is or what the goals are of why they're asking you to do it and what they think success looks like at the end of the process. Because then you can work future back. If you need to do X, you can unpack that and go, what, what are the steps to get there and how are we going to measure it? And if that's a financial figure, fantastic. You're, you're on ROI, on your, you're on the right path to the true financial calculation of what ROI is. Um, gains from investment, take away cost of investment over cost of investment. It's a very simple calculation. Feel free to Google it. But that's how I see ROI. The other thing is alignment. And, uh, you know, I, I joke because there's truth in it that I am a, a purveyor of terrible dad jokes, but I love my quotes. and I, I blame my time in L&D and listening to podcasts, but I, you know, it's, it's helped, it helps me remember things. And Einstein's quote that if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life thinking it's stupid. And there's a lot of truth in that when it comes to measuring and reporting success, whether it's we've achieved our goal or we've actually had real ROI. And people have conversations with stakeholders that say, we need to hire 15 people next week. And to the uninitiated or the untrained, and it depends if that relationship is a transactional one, the stakeholder says jump, the talent market says how high, hmm. or if it's a strategic consultative one where the stakeholder says jump, and because they're experienced and maybe savvy enough, they can say, are you sure you want me to jump or should, I, or should we be hot or should we skip? Let's have a conversation. Tell me your problem and let me propose the best solution based on my expertise and my knowledge of the market, et cetera. That is where it falls down because if it's transactional, what often happens is the client goes, jump and I need you to jump six foot and to jump and hit that target I want you to do some organic posts on LinkedIn in our world let's say I need you to make 15 hires next week and I want you to do some organic can you make me a video to go on LinkedIn if it's transactional the junior or inexperienced person goes yeah 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 we'll do that we'll do a video we'll get it out and you'll have your 15 hires next week you won't because organic social is an upper funnel play it is not a conversion play so you're going to judge that fish by its ability to climb a tree. You piss the client off because you haven't come through on your promise. So it's just having the education and the knowledge to know what tools you need for what job. If it's a lower funnel, I need 15 people next week. Do sourcing. Do refer a friend. Do job post, job board advertising. Do job board programmatic. If it is a long-term branding, branding play, and then you measure that accordingly. It's how many hires did you make? How quickly did you make them? At what cost? To make it an ROI conversation is, well, what did it cost us last time we did it? And how much did it cost us this time we did it? And if there's a positive difference in that cost, then voila, you have a bit of an ROI conversation to have. Last time it cost us five grand. This time it's cost us one grand. Everyone's happy. It's an ROI conversation. That, I think, is what you can do. So to summarize, be really clear on what the goal is. Hopefully, you've got the knowledge and expertise to challenge your stakeholders who think if they want immediate conversions you can educate them that organic linkedin posts aren't going to achieve that result and then have that conversation and then if you want to make it financial you've got to understand the baseline from which you're jumping from 
we did this last time, it cost X. So when we do it again, it will cost Y. And if you don't have that baseline, then the conversation you have as part of your six-month strategy is the first three months of what we're going to do will be to set our own benchmarks in terms of the cost of what this will take. And the next time we'll iterate, we'll learn, we'll improve. And the next time we'll reduce cost, which will impact the company's overall profit margin. That is taking it from a met- marketing metrics-based conversation to a company P&L-based conversation. Yeah. And I think that is what you could, can try to do or practice doing. It's not easy at first. It makes you feel uneasy and awkward, but that's what I would suggest people could do really practically. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. I think, um, you know, actually, so taking the term employer brand, so Simon Barrow back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, was one one of the one of the people who came up with the term employer brand management and i've i've met him a couple of times had some good chats with him and he what he says is similar to a lot of what you say is actually when you think think of it in terms of proper brand management you have more con, you have more influence and control over over stuff beyond just the creation of messaging and the dis, creation of content and the distribution of that of that messaging and, and content it runs deeper into the business, you know, for sure. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Good chat, as always. Really appreciate Pleasure. it. And, uh, I yeah, hope so. Know. I hope someone out there finds it useful. No, it's good. If, if anyone's got any questions, then feel free to, uh, you know, jump into the comments um, and we go from there. But, yeah, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, you have a good Pleasure. Day. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Chris. See you soon.